Thank you, Ray, Travis, and Mike for ministering in music. Let's pray together. Father, we do thank you for the faith of those who have lived before us, who lived well and did well. We thank you, too, for the liberty we have in our country to share your word. As we interact with a portion of Mark's gospel this morning, we want to be hearers and doers of your word. It's in Christ's name I pray, amen. I would ask Sean, Shane, if he would come up here, please. I'm going to make a request of Sean. I would like for Sean to dump out this container, to dump out this container, and to dump out this container, and in one trip, get all those items back to the sound booth without dropping any one. There are two bags here, Sean, that you may use if you want to dump them and then put everything in these bags and carry them back. Do your thing. A very, very pointed question. Did Sean do what I requested? In Mark chapter 12, verses 1 through 12, we find that Christ is giving a parable. And the parable that he shares is directed to Israel. Israel chose to be like Sean. Israel was was told repeatedly, here's how to live, here's what you're to do. They did not respond in that way. They just defied what God said. Sean did what he was supposed to do, really. Mark chapter 12, beginning with verse 1. He began to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard. He put a wall around it, dug a pit for the wine press, and built a watchtower. Then he rented the vineyard to some farmers and went away on a journey. At harvest time, he sent a servant to the tenants to collect from them some of the fruit of the vineyard. But they seized him, beat him, and sent him away empty-handed. Then he sent another servant to them. They struck the man on the head and treated him shamefully. He sent still another, and that one they killed. He sent many others. Some of them they beat. Others they killed. He had one left to send, a son whom he loved. He sent him last of all, saying, They will respect my son. But the tenants said to one another, This is the heir. Come, let's kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. So they took him and killed him and threw him out of the vineyard. What then will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and kill those tenants and give the vineyard to others. Haven't you read the scripture? The stone the builders rejected has become the capstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. And they looked for a way to arrest him, because they knew he had spoken the parable against them. But they were afraid of the crowd, so they left him and went away. Parables are drawn from everyday life. 
This is the only parable in Mark outside of chapter 4. This parable is an account of Israel's relationship to the Son of God, depicted in the terms of tenant farming and recast an Old Testament image. The parable describes the kind of thing that went on in Galilee during the first half century preceding the revolt in 66 AD. Secular records as well as rabbinic literature depict a, depict a widespread system of absentee landowners who employed middle men to supervise tenant farmers. Such practices became the data for illustrative stories and morals beyond the day of Jesus. So what Jesus is speaking about here is not something foreign to them. It was something that was taking place at that point in time. As you look at the flow of Mark 11 and 12, we find in Mark chapter 11, 12 through 26, that Jesus rejected the worship of the temple. He cast the money changers out and so on. In Mark 11, 27 through 33, Jesus rejected the religious leaders. You know, they came to him with a question and Jesus responds. Then in Mark 12, 1 through 12, we find that Jesus clearly states Israel rejected him. Thus, the various leaders seek to attack Jesus. In Mark 12, 13 through 17, they try to back him into corner by a question concerning paying taxes to Caesar. In Mark 12, 18 through 27, there's marriage at the resurrection. They again try to corner Jesus. And then in Mark 12, 28 through 34, the issue of the greatest commandment. See, Jesus pronounced judgment on the temple, on the religious leaders, on Israel, and then they try to corner him because they didn't want to respond to Christ. Please keep in mind that the time and cost involved in planting a vineyard and putting a wall around it was great. It didn't happen in a day or two, nor was it inexpensive. A man planted a vineyard. He put a wall around it. He dug a pit for the wine press. We're talking about the passage of a fair amount of time. Much time passed as the landowner sent various servants to collect from the tenant some of the fruit. Now, first he sent one, then he sent another, and he sent others. So there's a period of time that has been passing. Many servants were sent, but they all received rough treatment, all. The tenants assumed when the sun came, the landowner was dead. Thus, if they killed the landowner, or the son rather, they would inherit the vineyard. The quote from Psalm 118 must be understood in its context to better understand the parable of Jesus. Psalm 118, as we'll discuss in the future, is very powerful on the Lord. L-O-R-D, all caps, referring to the independent self-existing one. And Jesus is saying, I'm the Lord. But he was rejected. The hearers involved, the disciples, 
the chief priest, the teachers of the law, the elders. The them in verse 1 and verse 12 refers to the chief priest, teacher of the, teachers of the law, and the elders. Jesus spoke these words, and people would understand them because he's talking about a vineyard. The vineyard being a national symbol for Israel. The temple in which Jesus was standing sported a ritually carved grapevine, 70 cubits high, sculpted around the door which led from the porch to the holy place. The branches and leaves were of the finest gold. The bunches hanging were costly jewels. Herod first placed them there. And rich and patriotic Jews from time to time would add to it. One contributed a new grape, another a leaf, and still another a cluster of some precious metal. The vine had a very important and sacred meaning in the eyes of the Jews. So when Jesus is sharing a parable, he's not speaking of something foreign to Israel. In fact, the old Maccabean coins had the same symbols. Jesus used phrases directly from the beautiful song of Vineyard in Isaiah 5, 1 through 7. If you want to turn there, you can, but I want to read from Isaiah chapter 5. See, he's dealing with religious people. He is speaking of things that were common to them. A grapevine in the very presence of his speaking. The Maccabean coins. And then Isaiah chapter 5. I will sing for the one I love a song about his vineyard. My loved one has a, had a vineyard on a fertile hillside. He dug it and cleared it of stones and planted it with the choicest vines. He built a watchtower in it and cut a wine press as well. Then he looked for the crop of grapes, but it yielded only bad fruit. Now you dwellers in Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more could have been done for my vineyard than I have done for it? When I looked for good grapes, why did it yield only bad? Now I will tell you what I'm going to do to my vineyard. I will take away its hedge. And it will be destroyed. I will break down its wall. And it will be trampled. I will make it a wasteland. Neither pruned nor cultivated. And briars and thorns will grow there. I will command the clouds not to rain on it. The vineyard of the Lord Almighty is the house of Israel. And the men of Judah are the gardens of his delight. And he looked for justice, but saw bloodshed. For righteousness, but heard cries of distress. As Jesus shares this parable, a grapevine present in the temple, those who heard it would have had their minds go back to Isaiah chapter 5, verses 1 through 7. Jesus' hearers knew that Israel was the vineyard. They understood that the Lord had taken great pains to make his vineyard healthy and productive. 
He'd put up a wall to keep wild animals out and so on. Just as in the parable here. In the parable, what did the man do? He put up walls to keep out the animals. He built a wine press. The wine press would have probably been cut out of rock. The upper wine press where the grapes would have been trampled on. And then a little chute, if you please, to run to the lower where, as the grapes were trampled on, the juice would run. He built a tower some 15 to 20 feet high, a place for shelter, a place for storage, a vantage point where you could see a vineyard and look for animals and look for those that might be causing problems. He created a beautiful vineyard and was expecting great things to come. God had done that with the vineyard of the nation of Israel. Under God's leadership, Abraham had left Ur of the Chaldeans, and he became the father of a chosen people, which was to be a blessing to the world. Moses came to deliver the people from Egypt, to lead them into a land flowing with milk and honey. God delivered them and gave them the law. Finally, under Joshua, with God's help, they were planted in Canaan. And the psalmist says, with your hand, you drove out the nations and planted our fathers. God expected great things from his spiritual vineyard. Thus says Jesus, he rented the vineyard to some farmers and went away in a journey. These lease agreements were common in the Jordan Valley. The owner would lease it with an intent that he would get back one-third to one-half of the crop. And then he would go travel. God had high expectations for Israel. He expected the development of his people. He expected them to be a light to the Gentiles, but they did not respond in that way. We'll look at several parallel passages. The first one being Genesis chapter 12. As we think about the parable that Jesus is sharing, in Genesis chapter 12, we find that God has called Abraham from Ur of the Chaldeans. And he gives him a promise. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And whoever curses you, I will curse. All peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. Next, I'm going to read from Exodus chapter 19, before the Ten Commandments are given. Then Moses went to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the house of Jacob, what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt, how I carried out or carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. And the whole earth is mine. You will be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you're to speak to the Israelites. God's intent for Israel was that they would be a light to the Gentiles. The last book of the Old Testament in Malachi chapter 1, verses 10 and 11. Oh, that one of you would shut the temple doors so that you would not light useless fires on my altar. 
I am not pleased with you, says the Lord, and I will accept no offering from your hands. My name will be great among the nations from the rising of the sun. In every place, pure incense and pure offerings will be brought to my name because my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord Almighty. God's desire was for Israel to be sought and light, if you please, to the Gentiles. They did not do well. And Jesus is sharing a parable concerning Israel and what had happened. As you read the parable, there's outrage. There's flagrant, ascending violence, first beating, then wounding, and finally murder. And it's interesting that that was happening in Judah at that time. Landowners would rent out their vineyard. They would go travel and they would send someone to collect from the harvest. And what would they do to them? They would kill them. So as the chief priest, as the scribes and the elders heard this, they knew this was happening at the present time. Jesus is speaking a parable of that which was happening at that point in time, even as Jesus lived and spoke during his earthly life. But he's talking about what happened with Israel. See, Israel had driven Elijah into the wilderness. Isaiah, according to tradition, was cut in two. Zechariah was stoned to death near the altar. John the Baptist was beheaded. Hebrews 11, 37 and 38 says, They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were put to death by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains and in caves and in holes in the ground. All of this was done according to the parable, because Israel's leaders wanted the vineyard's fruit for themselves. God's servants, his prophets, through announcing his word, threatened their leadership position and their prophet. In verse 12, then they looked for a way to rest him, the chief priests, the scribes, and the elders, for they knew that he was speaking the parable against them. The landowner takes vengeance, not on the vineyard. But on the tenants of the vineyard, the Sanhedrin, as leaders of Israel, were in view. The heroic party is not the tenant farmers, but the landowner. See, the landowner had sent people time after time. Some they beat, 
Some they killed. But the climax of the parable comes in verse 6. He had one left to send, a son whom he loved. He sent him last of all, saying, They will respect my son. What farmer in his right mind would surrender his son to such tenants? It is a question worth asking, for it suggests the not fatigued love of God. True, according to Jewish law, a son possessed legal rights that a slave did not. Thus the son is the heir. In sending these servants, the owner appealed to the integrity of the attendants. Sending his son, he appeals to the right of the law. For the son was the only person, save himself, who possessed the legal claim over the vineyard. That is why the owner says, they will respect my son. The son goes as the father's representative with the father's authority to the father's property to claim the father's due. The son represents the legal claim, but also his compassion. He sent him, carries with it the idea of a divine commission. And the son differs from the servants in several important respects. They are many. He is unique. They are perhaps hirelings, even themselves property. He is the heir. They are forerunners. He is the last and final word of the father. Above all, he is the beloved son. The beloved son recalls the words of Abraham's love for Isaac, Jacob's love for Joseph, God's love for Israel, and especially the father's love for his beloved son at his baptism. This is my son whom I love. The reference to the beloved son in the parable recalls only one other relationship in the gospel, that of Jesus and the father. In the story, the parable of sending the son Jesus, he's the unique one being sent by the father. Keep in mind that in three days, these people who wanted to be God, the chief priests, the elders, and the scribes are going to haul Jesus before the authorities and condemn him. They would arrange for his death outside the city, outside the vineyard, if you please, that the vineyard could be theirs. In the face of humanity's refusal to receive God's love, he persisted and persisted and persisted. He sent servant after servant after servant. God did that with Israel. One representative after another was abused and then slain. Martin Luther said, If I were God and the world had treated me as it treated him, I would kick that wretched thing to pieces. Luther probably would have. 
But instead of turning his back on the world, God continued to send servant after servant. Rebuffs, insults, beatings did not stop him. And finally he sent his son. Spurgeon said, if you reject him, he answers you with tears. If you wound him, he bleeds and cleanses. If you kill him, he dies to redeem. If you bury him, he rises again to bring resurrection. Jesus is love made manifest. God had sent prophet after prophet after prophet. And Israel didn't listen. Ultimately, he sent Jesus. And what did they do with him? They killed him outside the city. Here we are reminded that the incarnation and the death of Christ were acts of the love of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. The Son dwelt with the Father and the Holy Spirit in inconceivable glory, so inconceivable that we cannot even begin to describe it. They were co-equal, co-eternal, possessing all the fullness of deity. They were always proceeding toward one another in fellowship. In sending the Son, there was nothing more God could do. Jesus was God's ultimatum. In consequence, nothing remains when Christ is refused. What did the farmers do when the same or when the son came? They rejected him. They killed him. If the farmers kill the heir, they reason, then they will become the heirs. If humanity can dispense with God or even kill God, then humanity can become God. So they took him. They killed him. They threw him out of the vineyard. Jesus echoes the prophets. What is the history of Israel if not rebellion against God? What is the sum total of humanity if not an attempt to rid the universe of God? Now I want you to keep in mind something that is very important. The vineyard is not a human possession, not even Israel's possession, but God's possession. It's his work, it's his purpose. In the rhetoric question in verse 9, what then will the owner of the vineyard do The Greek word for owner involves not only owner, but God as Lord. He will come. He will kill those tenants and give the vineyard to others. By Mark's day, those hearing would have understood that Christ wanted to reach the Gentiles. But Israel had not responded. we find then that Scripture says the stone the builders rejected has become the capstone. 
The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Lord willing, next Sunday we'll look at the balance of this parable and look at the quote from Psalm 118 concerning the Lord. And the quote basically from Psalm 118, 22 and 23 is stating that in Psalm 118, the Lord is used some 40 times. And Jesus is saying, I am the Lord. I'm the capstone. And you have rejected me. But it's interesting that even though the tenants came or they killed, they treat those who came badly, but the landowner remains in charge of the vineyard. Think about church history down through the pages of time. Think about Israel's history down through the pages of time. Israel did not respond well to God. The church, as you look at the church history, many times has rejected God, but yet religious. But what is God doing? God is taking even that and working it for his good, for his profit. Prophet after prophet was rejected by Israel. And finally, God sent his son. And what did God do? God took the sending of his son to be the redemption of mankind. God is sovereign. Christ is building his church today. Over and over again, we may hear the church this, the church that. It's not what it should be. Christ is building his church. He is the capstone. And it was in his death, the very thing that happened to Christ, that God used to build the body of Christ. My question Are you like Sean Shane? Told clearly what to do and just defy that and do the opposite. Is the body of Christ like Israel where God sends prophet after prophet to Israel and they reject him and ultimately God sends his son Jesus Christ and what they do, they kill him. Are you and I doing what God says? Are we obedient? Are we responsive? The ultimate question is, what have we done with this person of Jesus Christ? He's the son. He was on the cross, crucified, came from the dead. Ascended to his father. What have you done with him? Have you come to faith in him? Have you trusted him as Lord and Savior? If not, why not today? If you have, then be like Christ 
not like the tenants of the vineyard. We close our service. I invite you to take your hymnals. We're going to sing one verse of hymn 400. <laughs>